All right, welcome. It's episode 24. I'm your host, Becca Brown. This is the More Than Weight Loss podcast with me, Becca Brown, (laughs) and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the More Than Weight Loss podcast. I'm your host, Becca Brown. I'm a certified life coach and a certified nutrition coach, and I'm here to make your weight loss journey easier, more doable, because why not? This is the podcast to listen to if you're a mom trying to lose weight, and especially if your mom trying to lose weight and you've tried before in the past, and that's felt really hard. I'm gonna teach you what you need to know from both the physiological side of things and the mindset side of things. Let's do it together. I should probably get a better way to do those intros, but this is what we're gonna go with. Um, Today, let's jump right into it because it's the last holiday. We live in Jakarta. My husband works at the embassy here. and it has, it, we're just finishing out Ramadan. And I don't know how to speak about it intelligently. But all I know is that it's their big holiday. And um, Ramadan is a whole month. But then it ends with the, I can't speak about this intelligently. It ends with Eid al-Fitri, I think. And all it means is that the kids have been out of school for several days. Today being the last one. Of course, just in time for school to end. <laughs> My, one of my, my oldest daughter said, Hey mom, there's only like two weeks left of five day. Of, there's only two five day weeks left before school gets out. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Anyway, so we're going to keep this quick. We're, we're going to keep this quick because, um, my entire family's home and it's just easier for everybody. If I keep things quick, hopefully I will stay on track. I do have notes, but today what I want to talk about this isn't going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, this this is going to at first feel like it doesn't apply to weight loss exactly. But I would argue that it does. And the reason why is because weight loss goes so much better if you, if you do it with an eye on, on <clears throat> sorry, all of a sudden I have something in my throat. If you do it with an eye on mind management, thought management, manage your brain, like for so many years, many of us, myself included, it was just like all about the to-dos. What do I need to do in order to lose weight? But I would argue that you'll find the success that you're looking for if you're willing to take a look at what's happening in your brain and manage that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and uh, most specifically, I want to just talk about the title of the podcast is Thoughts I Love That Other People Don't. And I don't mean to, this isn't, this isn't really, um, I don't want it to be super, this, this isn't a fight. (laughs) I I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want it to be super negative, but what I, what I'm trying to convey is like, there are things, there are thoughts that I've chosen to believe that other people, I don't think they necessarily realize they can believe that. Like it just, the opposite feels so true to them that they just can't see it in that way. And so, um, it just makes it a little bit harder. This is going to make sense. I'm going to keep talking and it'll make more sense. But I'm going to give you an example of three different thoughts that I have either completely kind of um, put into place in my life and I easily believe it. And then the last one is one that I'm still working on. But I want to give you these examples, not because you need to take these exact thoughts and make them your own because you don't, uh, but more of like, these won't be yours, but I want to give you an example I want to, I'm going to give you some examples of what I have learned to think so that you can be open to new things 
that are going to feel better for you in your life, whatever feels hard or tricky so that you can more often show up as the version of you that you want to be. Right. So, um, cause that's the thing is like, it's not, it's not, um, I've always said this and I'll continue to say it. Weight loss isn't tricky. Like what do we need to do to lose weight? We all know eat less calories than we use, right? Like show up, wake up, plan the dinner in advance, like put on our gym clothes and go move our bodies. None of that's tricky. Like it's not a mystery, but what can be mysterious is like how we can, what can I do in order to do that way more often? Okay. And so these thoughts are just an example of some of the ways that I've made it so that, um, basically I have created these more empowering feelings, emotions in my life more often so that more often I can show up and do the things that I want to be able to do. So the first one is, well, how should we split this up? How should we split this up? I'm going to just take a second and make sure I'm using the right microphone, which I am. And that is fantastic news. Um, well, let me describe, <clears throat> let me describe, kind of, let me just set you up for, for why it was that I needed to integrate this new thought. So when I was first, well, not first married, but when we had young kids and as it turned out, <laughs> When we had young kids and motherhood just did not look the way that I thought it was going to look. And I was not the mother that I really thought I was going to be, that I had really planned on being. And um, my husband, who was like my person, my favorite person, he, we couldn't, let me, let me talk about this intelligently. So I came from a family where you just got things done. And if you needed to stay up late and get up early, you just did that. And maybe you did that because you had to, and maybe you did it because you wanted to a little bit. We stayed up late. My grandpa used to say, I can call this Sanders house. My main name is Sanders. I can call this Sanders house at basically any time of the day or night, literally, and someone will be awake. I can remember my mom was teaching an early morning seminary class, so she would get up at like 5 a.m., but my dad was a super night owl, so he would stay up late anyway. My grandpa was like, doesn't matter what time of the day or night I can call. So there wasn't, there was not a big priority put on sleep. And, um, it was just not prioritized. You just got things done. That was prioritized. And then I met and married my husband and his sleep is very, very important to him. And so we started having kids and like that required you to be up a little bit. And he was an instructor pilot at the time at the Naval base in Corpus Christi, which was so fun. Anyway, that was such a fun assignment. Um, and so sleep was really important to him for more than just his own comfort. But like it was really important that he was well rested because he was going up in the air in an airplane with people who didn't know how to fly airplanes. I, I used to joke and say like he's going up in the air with students who are like trying to kill him. So it was important that he um, got sufficient sleep so that he could stay. So he was alert and um, kind of on the top of his game. But I didn't, well, the funny thing is, is as I look back now, I didn't value sleep, but I was annoyed when I didn't get enough sleep. But then often I was choosing to not get enough sleep actually as a way to deal with the negative emotions that I was experiencing based on what I was choosing to think about my parenting experience and how it just wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. Uh, but 
long story short, my husband would get a lot of sleep and I would get really kind of annoyed at that a lot. And I would, I would be really resentful and kind of bitter about it and kind of mad at him and really annoyed. But then also there was the other side where I was like, well, he kind of needs sleep because he needs, like, obviously we want him to stay alive. And so when he goes to work with these kids who don't know how to fly airplanes, like we need him to, to stay in control of the situation and basically be at his best. And I just started to tell myself this story that like, this isn't fair. My stuff doesn't matter as much as his stuff. Um, I'm going to do a whole nother podcast episode on kind of the, um, kind of the relationship, the intricacies of the relationship that we were experiencing at that time and how the stories I was telling what kind of was putting me kind of in a one down position and he was in the one up position, but that's a separate, that's going to be a separate episode. But basically I started to tell myself this story that like I couldn't, it wasn't fair. And there was kind of not a lot that I could do about that because when I would bring up my concerns to my husband, he would just kind of reiterate, he was willing to help, but reiterate that these things were important to him. And what's so funny is like, I can remember staying up late working on these projects that didn't like ultimately they didn't need to be done, but I wanted them to be done. And I chose to stay up late to get them done. So I'm sure he was like, yeah, so I'm not going to help you stay up until 4am so you can sew the curtains for the living room. Right. It's just funny to kind of take a more neutral kind of step back now and see, I felt like there was so much injustice at the time, but I was totally contributing to that. Like what? I thought I wasn't getting enough sleep, but I was the one choosing to stay up so late to get these things done. And that was not the only way to get them done. Anyway, I think we've somehow gotten into the weeds of this story. My point is, is back then I told a story that like, it wasn't fair and it wasn't fair and kind of, it wasn't fair. And I felt like I had to do more and I couldn't get the help that I needed and it just wasn't fair. And I don't think that anymore. I really don't. My new thought, the thought that I love to think that a lot of other people don't, because this, this story that I'm telling of like early motherhood, early parenting with little babies that need a lot of us, there are a lot of people out there that will tell the same story. It's not fair. And even that same kind of dynamic, if you are in a family situation where maybe you've chosen to stay at home and your husband works, like you might also be without realizing or without meaning to putting yourself into that one down position and just like, I can't get the help I need because I, you know, I ask him for help and he gives me suggestions on what we can do different, but he, it's never what I want to hear and it's not fair and I have to do all the things. And I would say what was also going into that was also, I was uncomfortable about all of it because I wasn't doing as good of a job as I thought I should have been doing. So I kind of wanted him to come in and rescue me help because this isn't going well, which interestingly enough, as a side note, knowing now what I, knowing what I know now, it's like what I actually wanted was someone to say, Hey, it's okay. You're actually not failing here. I know that your brain is trying to tell you that this is a failure and things don't look the way that you like, you're not getting dinner on the table every night at 5:45 and it's not healthy and you're you're and you're throwing away so many vegetables <laughs> that have rotted in the drawer in your fridge. Oh man. And that all felt so terrible and what I wanted more than help, honestly, 
was I wanted someone to come in and say, hey, it's okay. You're actually doing a great job. All the things that matter, you're taking care of them. And so honestly, if I could go back in time, I would do that for myself. I could have done that for myself. I could have, I could have soothed my own insecurity and um, discomfort and told myself that it was okay. I wanted someone else to do that, but I was actually the perfect person to do that because I was the one who knew how hard it was. My husband doesn't know how to be a stay-at-home mom. He's never been a stay-at-home mom. But I was looking to him to like tell me I was doing a good job. What does he know about it? He knows nothing. It's like if I said to him, you're a great Air Force officer. I mean, he is. But it, I, what do I know about that? I don't know anything about that because I've never been an Air Force officer. So what I choose to think now, because there's still times when our family, well, our kids need us. It's not, we're not in the baby situation anymore. Although my youngest tries to be sometimes. But I just no longer kind of engage in this idea of like fairness and like what he should be doing and what I should be doing. Because it's never going to be there's actually no way to make it completely fair. But instead of like keeping score, which is what I used to do in my brain a little bit, I choose to believe right now that I can always get the help that I need. If it's dishes, if it's dinner, if it's grocery shopping, if it's like a sick kid, if it's so-and-so has practice and we got to figure out how to get him or her there, I can always get the help I need. I don't need it to be fair or even. Because again, that's like impossible. So instead of going along with this story of like this kind of sad victim story of like, yeah, it's not really fair because, and you'll hear this, people say this. And if you look for it to be true, then you can make it true. Like it's never fair because I'm a mom and I, there's, I don't leave work. I'm always here. There's always something to do. Like I work 24 hours a day basically. A lot of people say that. I just choose to not think that anymore because that feels terrible. Who wants a 24-hour job, right? So instead, now I think I can always get the help I need. And it took a little bit, like you kind of have to reach for that. Because again, there's a story that I started to tell myself that started when we first started having kids. And one that you'll see repeated and kind of uh, validated by people around you perhaps, maybe people on the internet that you don't know who are having a similar experience and who are giving it the same meaning as you did. What I do now is just like, I can always get the help I need. And maybe that's my husband and maybe it's someone else. Let's say we come to a place now, again, you will hear me say this because I feel victimized by it, but we live in Jakarta and we don't have a dishwasher and I'm considering letting go of my hired help. That's a whole nother story too. But let's say I had a thing that was hard to do and I couldn't seem to get it. Let's say it was dishes. So then I can get the help I need. So is it going to be me for whatever reason? Maybe no. Is it going to be, okay, well, maybe it's going to be my husband. Maybe it's going to be my kids. Maybe I'm going to hire it out. Maybe I'm going to switch to paper plates only and paper cups and plastics, forks and spoons and all that stuff. I can always get the help that I need. I can absolutely get this taken care of no trouble. And that has replaced the victim story of like, this isn't fair. I have to do everything. I never have time off. No, the funny thing is is my husband was creating his own time off. He was taking care of himself and prioritizing sleep. 
in a way that I couldn't understand because I had never really been modeled for me. And instead of like making myself the victim and criticizing that, what actually I've done now to my own benefit and the benefit of my family, because now I'm taking care of myself, I've tried to learn from that actually. Like, oh, it's not a problem that he does that. It's amazing that he does that because I can do the same thing. And as I've shifted into that, I can always get the help I need. Well, then I get the help I need. And sometimes it's my husband and sometimes it's in other ways. But it's so much easier to get the help I need because I'm no longer living in that victim story. Does that make sense? Boy, I wish we were having this conversation face to face because then I could look at your face and I could see if there was understanding or just confusion. I'm going to keep going because I think I've explained that pretty well. Okay, the second thing. Let me tell you something about my, well, my child, my son. We came from Virginia. You might have heard the story before. We came from Virginia before we moved to Jakarta. We lived in Virginia for two years. Now, prior to Virginia, we lived in Hawaii. We lived on base. There were kids everywhere. Kids for all of my kids to play with. It was amazing and wonderful in so many ways. Um, And then we moved to Virginia, and we were in a more rural setting. And so there weren't a ton of people around, and we were homeschooling at the time. So my son didn't have really any friends. He had a couple. He had one friend at church, but we just didn't see him very much. And one day, my son said to me, hey, Mom, I don't have any friends. And, like, the dagger in my little mama heart was, that was tough. (laughs) I was like, I know, bud. I know. I'm sorry. That's really hard. And then we've come here to Jakarta and it's kind of the same. We live in a smaller compound and there are kids outside, but none of them happen to match up with my son in terms of age and gender. There's just no one here for him to play with. And also this has worked its way out, but at the beginning of the school year, he didn't have a ton of friends at school. I think he didn't really know how to make friends. He was kind of out of the practice and it was his first time in middle school. And so he would come home and I would, out of love and concern, and I don't know, some sort of, it was tough. I would ask him how his day went and like, especially at the beginning of the year, I'm like, so, you know, cause they have breaks and they have, you know, lunch and they have a fair amount of flexibility in middle school here. And so I would ask him who he would eat lunch with. And he was like, nobody, I didn't have anybody to eat lunch with. And we can just pause for the tears that (laughs) that I shed over that for a while. That was tough. And my son loves, um, a lot of that has worked its way out. Like he's got friends at school and they're so they're middle school, 12 year old boys that are so annoying, but here at home, he still doesn't have a ton of like, he's not going outside to play with anyone and he plays video games a lot. He has a computer that they issued him at school and he has here at home and he has a Nintendo switch and he plays video games a lot. And there was some sort of like instinctual, like he shouldn't be playing so many video games and he played video games in Virginia as well. He shouldn't be playing so many video games. I've really got to control his screen time. And this is a disaster. It's all a disaster. And it's a problem. And it's going to hold him back. And it's like turning his brain to mush and all those things. Again, same as the first example I gave. You will find people who believe that. You will find people everywhere who are like, yes, my son, I can't get him off the screens. It's terrible. And what I noticed was that felt horrible. 
that felt, I felt panicked. It made the fact that he didn't have a ton of friends around and at a couple different times, he wasn't really making friends. That made that a huge problem. And I would think things that would make me feel panicked. And let me just tell you, the mother that I am from a panicked, from a feeling of panic is not the mother that I want to be at all. And so I decided to be brave and look for what else I could believe. What else could I think? And in that one day I was just like, and I actually think it was from God a little bit because God wants us to be, God wants us to empower ourselves and to not, he doesn't want us to feel terrible all the time. Right. Anyway. So one day I was looking for another way to think about this. And I was just like, you know what? I'm really glad he has video games. He was always meant to, at this time in his life, struggle to make friends or maybe not have a ton of friends. That was always the way it was going to be. And isn't it amazing that he has video games? I'm so glad that he has video games. That's the new thought. That's the new story I started to tell myself. And it just feels so much better. What it, it does not mean that I have turned a blind eye to it, that I'm not aware of, hey, maybe he should take a break. Maybe, you know, a certain number amount of time is enough. Maybe let's get up off the couch and stretch our legs a little bit. That doesn't mean that I don't have limits. That doesn't mean that I don't say, okay, this is the time that you get off of that and go do X, Y, Z. But I don't need it to be a problem in order to do those things. Do you know that? I can be grateful for the video games and also parent in the way that I want to because when I'm not feeling panicked, when I'm not sure that there's some big problem that I've got to figure out and I don't know how to figure it out, then it's so much easier for me to just like peacefully and with love and like zero drama, just say, hey bud, that's enough on that video game. Let's get up and find something else to do. I don't have to hate it in order to like take great care of my son. And why not enjoy it, right? Because the truth is, is I'm so glad that video games are around. Have you ever had a 12-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old girl and a 5-year-old girl and that 12-year-old boy is walking around, basically bouncing from one child to the next, trying to annoy them? Do you know how awful that is? I'm so glad that he has video games to occupy him, to, in, to enjoy, to work on his skills, to work towards, to be excited about. I made my job easier as a mom when I was willing to believe that thing that most people don't. I'm so glad he has video games. Hallelujah. Okay. Do you see the point I'm trying to make here? I hope so. Let me give you the third one. And I just in full transparency and disclosure, this one is not as solid as the other two. The other two, I'm like, oh, a thousand percent. I can always get the help I need. And I am so glad that we have video games. (laughs) I'm so glad that my son has video games. The last one is, this is the thought. This is exactly what I wrote down. This is exactly how this is supposed to go. Now, what I wrote it down in in kind of what I was thinking of was really in truth was just like these teenage children. Now my son turns 13 in, oh, in like nine days. And my daughter turns 15 in September. So we got 14 and a half and nearly 13 year old. 
And the truth is, is it's so funny because those irritating old women who in the grocery store will come up to you when your cart is full of little babies and like it's a disaster and you don't know when was the last time you took a shower and things are hard and they'll say, Oh, enjoy it, honey. It gets so much harder. And I'm just like, yeah, uh, thanks for that because it feels pretty darn impossible right now. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. (laughs) But the truth is, is it does get so much harder. It gets so much harder. I don't know that it's helpful to be, to be informed of that when it already feels hard because as things get harder, our capacity grows. This is why, I mean, God gives us children that get harder as they get older, which is so kind. Thank goodness they're not maximum hardness when they first arrive. I think that's true nine times out of 10, that there are some newborns that are really tricky. But being the mother of teenagers is hard and it's hard for lots of different reasons. It might be how they're responding back to you. It might be how they're like pushing against the boundaries. The funny thing is my daughter, she's so great. She's so great in so many ways, but it's like, she's offended by my efforts to parent her. Like she thinks that, I, I don't know. She thinks, I don't know what I'm talking about. She thinks that like I'm out of line in giving her guidelines and like parenting her. It's it, when I step back, it's actually really quite funny. Um, I like to think like, if you had told me, like, I just didn't know that the most annoying thing about parenting teenagers would be how convinced they are of your stupidity. (laughs) It's just like, okay, but I literally have been on this earth more than two times as long as you come on anyway. And then there's also challenges that happen as kids get older, like socially middle school is like no it's no walk in the park sometimes. And there are things that pop up and it's just like, shoot, this is hard. This is so hard. I'm so sorry, honey, that you have to go through this hard thing, whatever it is. And again, it can be so easy to get lost in this, like, this is so awful. Um, I have a sister who's like, no, having teenagers is like hugging a cactus. And on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, kind of. And then on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know if that is really helpful. That feels crappy. Do you know what I mean? So I could see that being helpful and not helpful. You get to decide. That's the beauty is we all get to decide what we want to believe. And like I'm trying to show you today is like you can choose whatever feels helpful for you to think and no one else has to agree with it. But what I try to think as much as possible is this is exactly how this is supposed to go they're supposed to have social issues and challenges. They're supposed to push back on boundaries. They're supposed to think that you're an idiot. They're supposed to roll their eyes and stomp upstairs and slam their door. They're supposed to do all of those things. This is exactly, let me try that again. This is exactly how this is supposed to go. And the truth is, is we do wish without examining it. It's like, yeah, I wish my child would just like, see the wisdom and what I'm saying and follow my counsel and like not push back on boundaries and not throw fits at like things that are so obvious. Like there's no need to question. No, you cannot wear those shorts that are like up your butt. Like, no, they have to be longer. Why are you fighting me on this? Um, it's easy to go with that. It's so easy, but when, but kind of staying with that, like, yeah, like 
my child thinks I'm an idiot. This is so annoying. They should, oh, this is what I was saying. (laughs) It's easy to wish that they were just going to do those. They were just going to follow our rules and follow our counsel and not push up against boundaries and just have lovely, fulfilling, kind relationships and social, no social issues, no issues navigating the social scenes at school or in their relationships or whatever, their friendships. Yeah, it's nice to think that it would be better if it were that way. But number one, it might be kind of weird. Like if you heard of a teenager who didn't kind of push against the boundaries, it's like, well, what's happening? Because it's actually developmentally appropriate for them to be doing all those things, number one. And number two, um, it's in the conflict, it's in the struggle, it's in the hard times that we, I believe, grow and become who it is we're meant to be. So do I really want to take that away from my child? Do I really want it to be smooth sailing? I spent, we spent a good amount of time with a client last week. I say we, it's me and the client on kind of this very subject, like, oh, things are so hard and complicated and I wish they weren't. And I'm like, I I don't know. I kind of think they should be. Do we really want things to be smooth sailing for our kids? Do we really want to take away their opportunity for growth? Again, I can see the yes. I can see the votes for yes, but I can also see the votes for no. We don't want to take those away. We want it to be hard because it's meant to be hard. And when I, now again, like I said, (laughs) I'm not a hundred percent on this thought. It's not completely like, I like to think of it as like these thoughts have been like surgically transplanted into my brain. And again, I like, I can always get the help I need a thousand percent. Yes. And I'm so glad that my child has video games. Yes. But this one I'm still working on. And I noticed that when I think it as often as I can, this is exactly how this is supposed to go. Well, then I feel peaceful. I feel, um, this is not a feeling, but it's almost like I feel full of like resources. I don't feel, it's like the opposite of like drained. Because when I think like, this is not how this is supposed to go. This is a disaster. Then I might feel drained. When I believe the opposite, I feel the opposite. I feel like I have all the, like I'm full of, it's almost like the ability to handle this because I know it's supposed to be this way. Does that make sense? And I can't always think it, but when I do think it, I am helping myself. I'm empowering myself to show up and be the mom that I want to be way more often. Not a hundred percent. I wish you could have seen me and my daughter last night. (laughs) She's telling me she needs a new dress for eighth grade graduation or whatever it is. And and she shows me what she wants. And I'm like, hello, have we just met? I am not buying those dresses for you. You're 14. And have I not parented you that you think that those are a good idea? And then I'm like, oh yeah, when I was 14, that's what I wanted to wear too. And she's like, you don't understand. And I'm like, except I do, but you also don't understand me. (laughs) And I went upstairs pretty frustrated, but then I can always bring myself back to, oh, this is exactly how this is supposed to go. She's supposed to want to wear inappropriate things and I'm supposed to come in and teach her otherwise. That's how this is supposed to go. So it's not a problem. Again, it's not a problem if my husband wants to take care of himself and get enough sleep and prioritize his day and his schedule so that he's taking care of himself. That's not a problem. I can do the same thing. 
I can actually learn from him. And if I need help that I'm not getting, I can always get it, whether it's from him or someone else. This experience I'm having with parenting teenagers, this is exactly how this is supposed to go. I feel so much better. And it, it, it may not be, it's not easy to believe at first, but just like it's not easy to ride a two-wheeled bike when you haven't learned how to do it, but you keep trying, you keep working at it, and you'll get there. Or I should say probably your child. That makes more sense. But it's not totally easy for me to believe this, for you to believe new things. But practice it, and pretty soon it will happen without even thinking, without you even trying. And when you do that, it's just so amazing because... It's like if you compare a kid with training wheels, like, yeah, they're kind of going, but they're kind of rocking back and forth and it's really kind of weird and not very smooth versus if they try and work at going on a two-wheeled bike without the training wheels, well, then they're smooth and they're fast and they're going where they want to go. They've made it so easy on themselves. This is what we do when we choose intentionally what we want to think to be able to create those empowering emotions that make it so much easier for us to be who it is that we want to be, the versions of us that we want to be, the mom that I want to be, the wife that I want to be, well, then my ride is smoother. Life is smoother. It's so much more enjoyable. You create peace for yourself when you do that. And all it takes is leaning into the uncomfortable new way of thinking and knowing that not everyone's going to think that. But as, as it turns out, we don't have to crowdsource our thoughts. No one else has to agree with it. No one else does, I promise you. They can actually believe the, the opposite, and that has nothing to do with you. You don't have to manage that at all. There's only one brain you need to manage, and it's your own. So I would challenge you at this moment. I've given you a lot of stories of myself. And like I said, if we were if we were in a one-on-one conversation, we would figure out what it is that you're thinking right now that's making it hard for you. And I would ask you like, let's find something else. What do you want to believe? What or or this is probably a better question, how do you want to feel? And then work backwards. Okay, well what can you think right now that makes you feel how you want to feel? Like if I want to feel peace about the fact that my son doesn't right now have a lot of friends, well, then it's not, it's not that his video games are a big problem, I promise you. If I want to feel peace for the situation my son's in, then the thought is, oh, I'm so glad he has video games. Look at how happy he is because of his video games. I love it. I'm so glad those are there. And then I feel peaceful. And then I can show up as the mom I want to be, not panicked. Not mad, not frustrated, not really sad. Because it, it could easily be like a mixture of like sad and mad. Like sad that he doesn't have friends and mad that it's this way. Like, wait, hang on. It's not supposed to go this way. No, it's totally supposed to be this way. Thank goodness for the video games. So I'm going to challenge you to be brave and to look for a new thought that you can reach for, that you can practice thinking that's going to create whatever empowering emotion it is for you that makes it easier for you, to, for you to be the version of you that you want to this week. Just try it. And then email me and tell me all about it because I would love to hear. And I read all my emails and that's, that, those come straight to me. So I would love to have a conversation there. 
Uh, my email address is hello at beccabrown.com. That's two C's. I'm sure you know that. And yeah, and then if you're not following me on Instagram, come and find me there. I love to um, talk to people in my DMs. If you are trying to find new ways, new thoughts to think, new sentences to put in your brain, that's going to make it easier for you to be who you want to be. So um, on Instagram, I'm at Becca Brown, the coach. And as always, thank you for being here. And we'll talk next week.